Good morning. Can you guys hear me? There we go. There it is. There it is. I jumped the gun. I should have waited for the lights to come on. That was my bad. All right. All right. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers, um, to everyone else. Happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm excited because I get to speak to you guys this morning. And we've been going through this series called Missing Peace which is a word play, a very clever word play here because it means two different things, right? Um, and today we're going to be talking about how do we find a missing piece? How do we find the missing piece in the middle of difficult relationships and difficult people? How do we find peace in that? In order to do that, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. And as you guys are opening your Bibles and your Bible apps, I would like to begin by telling you guys a story. Um, pretty much on brand there, right? Uh, so, uh, way, 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 way back in the day, uh, in, the, in the 2000 aughts, I became a youth pastor at a very small church. And I was in my third year of youth ministry, and something catastrophic sort of happened to the church. Um, they got into the middle of a financial crisis that ended up making it so the church couldn't even go on. They couldn't pay, you know, their heating bill, let alone like their pastors. And so it was, it was a really terrible experience because I had spent the last three years building up a youth ministry. And the youth ministry was like one of the biggest in town. And so it was a strange situation where the church was shutting down, uh, the church was sh shutting down, and the youth ministry was on this incredible rise. And, um, and so I, uh, I didn't know what to do because I thought, man, I spent all this time, you know, building this youth ministry. And I loved all these students. And I felt like I was going to like sort of abandon them. But a church offered me a position um, in a town that was really close. So about five minutes away from this, they offered me the position and they came up with an agreement where even though this church was shutting down, we could sort of move our youth ministry and merge it with their youth ministry, and I would be over the new mer two merged youth ministries here. And uh, all of my mentors, like said, this is a bad idea. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to be a good thing. And but I, in my heart, I was like, man, I don't want to leave these students. I, I felt like a responsibility towards them, and so I thought, well, I, I need to, I need to figure out a way to make this work. And so I show up at this other church, the newly, like, appointed youth pastor of these two groups who now I need to merge together. And there is all sorts of different philosophies of ministry. There's different things they do. They happen on different nights. Uh, it's, it's kind of a mess. And there is a person there who was running the youth ministry in that church. And now that's sort of been taken from them, not just sort of, that's been taken from them, given to me, and they're expected to sort of just kind of fall into line in this way. Do you guys see where the conflict is going to start here? Yes. This, is, this, this, this began some rocky times. This person's name was Sonny. And Sonny was, uh, was a, a great leader. He had grown the youth ministry since he got a chance to do it. But he wasn't qualified, he wasn't ordained, he didn't have the credentials that I had at that point in my life. And so he had to fall into the line and I had to like, I got to take over this whole kind of situation. And 
there was some budding of heads, to say the least, um, in my first year there. But in my head, I kept thinking that if we're going to be successful at merging these youth groups, which we eventually did, were able to do, my and Sonny's relationship was key. The problem was that Sonny and I didn't get along at all. He was so different from me. He did things kind of in a brazen way. But I kept thinking, we've got to figure out a way to make this thing work. And so we've been doing ministry for a year. And we've seen some growth. The, the, the merger has started happening. But me and Sonny's relationships was sort of on the rocks. And I figured if, you know, Sonny fell off, that would mean that the whole other group that we've, you know, successfully merged together, that's going to be a problem. So we go to winter camp, and I'm thinking, you know, I need to do some things to make it so that Sonny feels sort of honored in front of the group and some other stuff, and that meant getting him his own, like, devotion and other things. But there was this game that I thought was going to be the best game that we ever played in youth ministry. I thought this game was going to be the most fantastic, and I, and I got it in the way that a lot of youth pastors do. I stole it from another youth group, right? Like, I, I, somebody posted about it, and I was like, that seems like an awesome idea. And this game was called Junta Darts. Now, any name that's called darts in it is probably not a good thing. I, know, I didn't know that on year four. I know that in year 16 now, okay? Um, now, the, uh, the other youth group had perfected this thing. Now, this youth group in Portland had perfected this thing called Junta Darts. They would take PVC pipes, and then they would take little pieces of duct tape, and they'd fashion, fashion them into little cone size uh, spheres. No point on the end. However, however, you could put those things into the, into the PVC pipes, you could blow on one side, and they'd fly through the air, and if you gave everyone a balloon to attach to their body, and let them sort of run through the church. The, the way that these things were made was it was sharp enough to pop a balloon, but not sharp enough to hurt a human. Or so I thought. <laughs> um, and so I'm explaining this game in a similar way to uh, the youth staff there. And they're looking at me like a lot of you are looking at me like now, like that sounds horrible, you know. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to give things away, and I figure we'll do a big reveal with this. And I'll come out, and I'll have a bunch of different balloons. I'll, I'll be a, just like a balloon monster. And I will let the kids just shoot me with that so they can get the idea of what the game is that we're about to play. But then I think, you know what? Like, that's such a cool position to be able to stand up and, like, egg the kids on and have them shoot. You know who would, you know what I should do? I should give that job to Sonny. So I do. We cover Sonny in balloons from head to toe. Um, I have one of my other leaders, his name is Isaac, fashion all of the little darts, right? Now what I don't realize is that Isaac never could figure out a way to just make it work with just the duct tape. So he added toothpicks to the end of these things. Yeah. Yeah, you guys see where this is going, right? So Sonny comes out in front of this group of like a hundred kids, balloon monster, and gives all the, we give all the kids the ammunition and the PVC pipes, and we basically say, go, right? And they start this firing squad of weapons, like straight up 
weapons. And, and instantly these balloons start popping like crazy. I'm like, it's working, it's working. And Sonny is doing such a good job. He's screaming and like, and going with the kids like, ah, oh, ah, you know, like this whole thing. I'm thinking, this is right. We did things with something awesome. Then I realize these darts aren't just going to the ground. They are literally sticking into Sonny at this point, right? Oh, no. And I start to think, oh, my goodness, this is how I lose my job, right? How do I go before the elders and say, yeah, we just darted our best volunteer. Um, uh, and uh, he's mad and he left, you know. Um, and we go into this back room afterwards, and I'm feeling just like, terrible, and, I, and, and Sonny's got all these things stuck to him, and, I, and, I, and he's got like balloons and debris, and, and he's got all these like, uh, you know, again, darts stuck to him, and, uh, and I'm thinking, man, he's going to be so mad at me. He's going to be so mad. He turns around, and he's laughing. He's laughing like hysterically, and he's making jokes about how uh, he doesn't have to pay for acupuncture right now, you know, <laughs> and, and this whole thing, and I'm laughing with him, and we're laughing as we're pulling darts out of him, and in this moment, we kind of figured out we shared the same heart. Like, the, the, like even though that was a, not a thing that he wanted and not a thing that I expected to have happen, we bonded over this failed youth ministry moment. And then from that point on, Sonny and I were great friends. We went on to some awesome things in youth ministry. He ended up, be, ended up becoming a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, he would bring a lot of his students, a lot of the people who were in his program, to youth group and, the, and, and make it part of their, their uh, uh, counseling plan. And so these kids would come in off the streets and they'd be homies and, and he would bring them to our youth ministry. They'd be struggling with all sorts and they'd find their, themselves in the front of uh, Jesus. And they would accept Jesus. We ended up running these huge camps down in, in, in Salem called Camp Respawn. And we just basically kind of, he basically reinvented like drug and alcohol counseling to adolescents in the image of youth ministry. And it, it changed everything. And I think about that story when I think about what God can do in the middle of a difficult relationship. In the middle of a difficult relationship. Let's jump into the scripture here. Right there. Romans 12, verse 14. It says it like this. It says it like this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. Now, when I think sometimes when we read these, and especially when I read these to teenagers, they think that this is a statement of using bad words. Using bad, do not curse. But the Bible, when it talks about blessing, it talks about a practical reality and it talks about a spiritual reality. When it talks about cursing, it talks about a practical reality and a spiritual reality. And that means that when we bless somebody, that's, that's basically us hoping good things for them. It's an anticipation of hope. And when we curse someone... That's us anticipating bad things for them. And the Bible tells us as we get closer and closer in our relationship with God, there is power in both our blessing and our cursing. There is power in who we bless and who we curse. And church, can I suggest to you this morning that in a cursed world, it is our job to bring the blessings. 
It is our job to bring the blessing. Some of us interact with the world in a way that this world is cursed, so I'm just going to heed curse upon it. We expect the world to already understand and promote our Christian values. The world doesn't even, doesn't even love or know Jesus. How can, how can they respond to a God that they don't even know? Especially when, when Christians are going around just, just dishing out cursing upon them. What, what Jesus requires from us is that we bring blessing when we should bring a curse. We see this in the story that Jesus tells about two sons and one father. One, one son is a blessing to his father, loves the work that they do, loves working with his father. The other, the other son hates it, despises it, doesn't like the work that he does, and wishes for his father to die so that he can get his inheritance. And this all goes into their whole relational makeup of, of a family dynamic in, in the first century. Eventually, this, this younger brother goes to his father and says, Hey, I wish you were dead. I wish I could inherit and I could just move on with my life. Now, in this moment, the first century listeners, especially the Jewish people there, would understand that if a son comes to his father with that level of a curse then it's absolutely the responsibility of that father to, to return a curse upon his son. But that's not this father. This father takes half of what he owns and gives it to the son and sends them on their way. Now that's a crazy thing to think about. Think about all the transactions that would have to happen in order for him just to be able to, to give his son this size of an inheritance. And he takes off. And we know the story. He goes, he goes and he squanders it. He finds a bunch of friends who want to who be there in his destruction. He finds all sorts of ways to spend this money. And eventually the money runs out. And he finds himself in a, in a, in a pig trough. And he's feeding the pigs. And he realizes what he's feeding the pigs is making him hungry. That's how low he has gone. And he remembers that even the lowest member of my father's house eats better than what I'm eating right now. And so he hatches a plan, I'm going to go home. And on the way home, what he was thinking was, I'm going to not come home as, as a son or a brother or a member of the family. I just want a better employer. I just want to be at the bottom of my dad's house because he's a fair man. And so he's walking home and he's rehearsing basically what he's going to say to his father. Father, I sinned against you. I sinned against your, your house. I, 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 heaven and earth. God, uh, just, just, just let, me, let me come home and be at the bottom. And something, one of the most beautiful statements in the Bible. It says like this. While he was still a far ways off, his father saw him. And came running to him, hugged him, embraced him, says, hey, get a robe for his back, get a, get a ring for his finger, go kill the fattened calf, because tonight we're going to have a party, because my son is home. My son is home. 
Now, when we hear that, it's like this is a beautiful story of redemption. When the first century Jewish leaders and Jews would have heard this, this would have been a foreign idea to them. This is a reckless father. This father is just enabling this son to squander and to do all these things. And Jesus knows that, so the story doesn't end there. There's another brother there who represents the Jewish audience out there. And, he's, and he comes to his father. And this time, this son is bringing a curse upon his father. What are you doing? What are you doing? That son of yours put our name in the mud. He put our name in the mud. He took all of it. And, and we are poorer because of his existence. And, and when he comes home, you don't, you don't return a curse to him? We all were cursed because of him. And again, at this point, the Jewish audiences would have looked and they said, okay, now this son's going to get it, right? Because now he's offering curse to his father. But that's not who this father is. And he looks at this son and he says, hey, everything I have is yours. The ultimate blessing. But rejoice today because your brother was lost and now he is found. Now he is found. Guys, we live in a reality where there are some people who are still walking in darkness. They're still walking apart from Jesus. They don't know the love of God. They don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And it should be our policy in every interaction that we get with the world to bring a curse, sorry, to bring, to bring a blessing and not a curse. I'm still waking up, okay? So we got to get this. And to, to bring a blessing and not a curse. Because in a curse world, it is our job to bring the blessing. Now let's jump into some more scripture here and let's work our way through it. Says it this way, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is, in the, what is right in the eyes of every, everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now that's a lot of scripture right there. And like Paul does, he fits a lot of words into a little section of scripture. And I don't want to miss any of this. So I, don't want, I want to work our way through this. But what I, want to, what I want to say to you guys is this. Is first of all, 100%, there's a lot of us who do not believe that peace is a good enough reason to have peace. But the Bible teaches it right here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So yes, church, you can have peace for peace's sake. That means in the middle of the terminal, the, 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 the bad relationships in your life. I know that if your family's like mine, there's feuds that are old, decades old that stem from childhood things that are going on. And the people that oftentimes offend us in those moments, they don't come to us and they don't ask for forgiveness. So we feel like, how do we have peace with people who are just going to keep offending us 
over and over and over again. And the Bible teaches it like this. You can just declare peace in a non-peaceful situation. In the same way Jesus looked at the turmoil of the seas raging, the storms raging, and he says, peace be still. You can declare that in your bad relationships. And you can have peace for peace sakes. But you say, TJ, isn't that just kind of sweeping it under the rug? Isn't that us just sort of ignoring it? Isn't that ignoring truth? It's absolutely not taught in the Bible. Peace is not ignorance. It is acceptance. And it is a greater version of acceptance. It is a greater version of acceptance. And so if we work our way through the passage that we just read, we will see acceptance that leads to peace. Here's five things that I need to accept if I'm going to have peace in my relationships. Number one, it says this, do not be conceited. I accept. Everyone say, I accept. Let's say that a little better. I accept. I like that. That's a little better. All right. I accept that I am one of seven billion stories that God is currently writing. You get it? All of my problems aren't all of God's problems. In fact, all of God's problems are all of everyone's problems. All of God's blessings are all of God's blessings. He has seven billion stories that he's currently writing. And and when I think about that, it's mind-boggling to me. Places that haven't even been reached for the gospel, God is writing those stories. Man, how, how does that work? In the middle of our church right now and, and in the middle of this room, even in this place, it's so complicated to understand all the different levels of, of non-peace that is going on in this place. But if we can understand that we're just a part of what God's doing and we can accept that our value doesn't come from our greatness or our uniqueness, but our value comes from that we were made by a God who can take care of seven billion people at the same time. Do not be conceited. Do not be proud. And as, as you accept this, it's not a depressing point. Some of us are like, I'm just one of seven billion people. That's not depressing. That's what we call a release. You don't have to solve everything. You don't have to fix everything. You're not anybody's savior or rescuer. God's word will go out with you or without you. You are one of seven billion things that God is doing. And you are one of the redeemed, which makes you even more blessed. All right. One more thing that we need to accept here. One more thing. Here it is. Everyone say, I accept. I accept that I can control myself and I can influence the people around me. Don't get it mixed up. So many of us only try to influence ourselves and then we try to control everyone else around us, right? We influence ourselves with our, with, with our Spotify playlists. Like, hey, I'm going to work out really hard today because I got all these motivational quotes and motivational songs and I'm going to influence my own psyche in a way. And I'm going to do it. But then when we see other people around us messing up, we try to control them. That makes everyone around us not like us. And it leads to a place that is so far from peace that we don't even know where we started. If I accept that I can control myself and I can influence those around us, 
then I'm starting exactly where God wants me to start. Control is a, is a difficult understanding for us in the Bible because we're told that God is in complete control and yet he still gives us some amount of control in our lives. Now, there's whole theological books and philosophies and, and there's denominations that split one way or the other way on the sovereignty of God. How sovereign is our God? Here's the answer. Our God is completely sovereign. But our... Thanks for the clap on that one. Yes, our God is completely sovereign. However, his sovereignty is so big and so beyond our eight-pound brain capacity that he allows us, even while he has sovereignty, to have a, a small s sovereignty in our life. And because of our own limitations, we can never outpace God's sovereignty in our life, which means we get a little bit of control. The only thing we get control of is what we do with our lives. Parents, we have to understand this. Even though our kids live in our house and eat our food and we do most of the things for them, what we ultimately are for them is the greatest influence that they will ever have. I've seen parents who were fantastic, 100%, all the way, gave their kid everything, taught them biblical truth, and still God offer, offers control to that individual's life. And when, when they needed to make the decision, they made a decision to not follow Jesus. It happens. It's the only way it can happen for us all to be held accountable in a just way. So if I accept that I can control myself and I can influence those around us, we can have peace. In the scriptures there, it says, mourn with those who mourn. Everyone say, I accept. I accept that God will shape my character through struggle, pain, sacrifice, and hardships. In this world, you will have troubles. Anybody here have troubles? Right? Anybody here have pain? Anybody here have struggles? Anybody here have sacrifices and hardships and broken relationships? Every single one of us deals with these things. God's blessing isn't to remove us from those things. In fact, God uses those things to shape us into better kingdom citizens for his glory. For his glory. And, and, and God says, while we're experiencing all this pain and struggle, he mourns with us in that. He mourns with us. And if we can accept that those pain, hardships, sacrifice, struggles are there for my ultimate good, I can have peace. Everybody say, I accept. I accept that one day he will wipe every tear from my eye and he will make all things new. There is a peace that surpasses understanding in this life. There is a peace that is so mind-blowing on the other side of reality. Guys, think about this imagery right here. We've all gone through it. We've all had the pain and sacrifice. We've experienced death. We've even experienced in this place when we accept this, we've even experienced our own death in a way. And we've been raised to new life. And there is Jesus mourning with us, but also rejoicing because he's making all things new. Guys, the pain has a point. It's not just pain, 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 and then you die and go to heaven. 
Heaven isn't going to feel like heaven. And choice is not going to feel like choice unless we struggle, sacrifice now. And the last thing I need to accept, say, I accept. Say, I accept. Okay, there we go. I accept that God's promises is his, pre- is his presence. Let me start again. I accept that God's promise is his presence and his presence is my peace. Guys, when we say yes to Jesus, this incredible thing happens. We are granted the presence of God internally for the rest of our lives and into eternity. His spirit lives inside of us. So when the Bible talks about the blessing of knowing Jesus and the blessing of God in our lives and the blessing he's going to bestow upon Christians, it's not a Mercedes Benz. It's not a BMW. It's not a new computer. It's not a bigger house. It's not any fancy thing. It's not not this give and get sort of transactional way of living. When God says, I am blessing you, what he's blessing you with is his presence in your life. And as you learn to discern his presence, which is 100% there all the time, then you learn to live in a way that just radiates blessings upon other people. Because we aren't the the people that that go around, you know, showing everybody how awesome we are. We are the people who are supposed to go around showing everybody how awesome God is and how the presence of God in our life changes everything. Guys, if you're still struggling this morning, lean hard into the presence of God in your life. You have power there. There is power in the presence of God in your life. And if we accept that, his presence actually becomes our peace. And we got to look here in the scriptures one more time. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That's some pretty crazy words right there. You know, usually when we're coming home from summer camp and there's all these camp relationships that had started, some some camp romances, and you see these kids on the bus and they're kind of like leaning up against each other, the great youth pastor line in that moment is, leave some room for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) From now on, I'm not saying that anymore. I'm saying this one. Leave room for God's wrath. (laughs) I think that's going to solve some things for me, right? Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is, this is actually a, a pretty scary point, but it's this. Often God's wrath is simply giving us over to our own wrath. I know that's not like the most easy thing going down. But oftentimes the way God manifests his wrath upon us is through giving us over to all the bad things that we're living in in that time. You guys know this? Unconfessed 
Bitterness leads to more bitterness. If you stay angry for too long, you become a very angry person. If you hate for too long, you become a very hateful person. C.S. Lewis, in, in, in his, one of his masterpieces, The Great Divorce, says it like this. In the end, there are but two people. Those who look on the Lord, look at God and say, God, your will be done. And then there are those who God looks upon them because they were never willing to say the first thing. And God looks at them and says, your will be done. God's not going to make somebody spend eternity with him when they never could love him. Bitterness, anger, wrath. These are all fruits that lead to destruction and ultimate destruction. Often God's wrath is simply giving us over to our own wrath. Guys, repent of your own wrath. Let it go. Return blessing where you have been giving curses. Start to pray for those who persecute you. When your enemy is hungry, give them food. When they're thirsty, give them a drink. What would that look like in your life if you started offering blessing where you have been given curses? I believe that would lead to ultimate peace in your life. And I believe that it would change everything. The section concludes like this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I started off with a, with a story of, of my frenemy, Sonny. Started off as my enemy, but be, be, became my friend. And he became my best friend, actually. Five years into the, the merged church experience and eight years into being able to be the same youth pastor to the same group of kids, what happened to Sonny happened to me. The church made a decision that I was going to be removed because the senior pastor simply didn't like me anymore. And I got dished out a whole bunch of church hurt that I was not expecting. During that time, the youth ministry was the biggest youth ministry in town. Kids were getting saved. People were getting baptized. There was discipleship, an active discipleship going on. And I thought that there was no way, no way that I would end up in this situation. But there I was, walking into a late night elder board meeting where they were asking for me to resign. Pain, immense, terrible, horrible struggle, pain. In that meeting, I had to beg for a chance to say goodbye to my youth group, which I had been their youth pastor for eight years at that point. It was a horrible situation. It was one of the worst things to do to have to call your wife after something like that. 
Lucky for me in the moment and blessed for me in that moment, I was already in talks with, with Grace Point Church. I already started talking here because I had seen the writing on the wall. I'd seen that the church was going in a way that I was never going to be a fit there. But now, I'm not moving from one thing to another. Now I'm completely hurt. And so who do I call? I call my friend Sonny up. And Sonny at this point is a full-blown counselor. And for the next two, three months, that dude took me out every single night. He loved on me. He spoke truth in my life. He told me, do not be overcome by evil, TJ, but overcome evil with good. He said, he said in these times, Satan's voice is going to start sounding really convincing. Don't listen to it. You're going to move on from this place. You're going to be a pastor up there at Grace Point. There are students up there who need you to be better than this moment. He just kept on saying things to me that were life-giving. And in that moment, it was, we stopped being friends and we became brothers. Forever, ever, ever put together for moments like this. And to this day, even though we live two states away, when we call, when I call him, we talk for hours on the phone. That's crazy when you think about dudes talking for hours on the phone. <laughs> but that's the brotherhood that we established in this place. And I can tell you this, church, you would never know me. Grace Point, you would never know me if it wasn't for my friend Sonny, who made sure that in my darkest moment that I would be restored to new life, that I wouldn't return evil with evil, but I was going to overcome evil with good. And so Sonny, who you guys have never met, is responsible for who I am here. And that's the type of peace that surpasses our whole understanding. And that's the type of peace that if we pursue God and we go, we lean hard into these things, God will take enemies and turn them into blessings and blessings who restore us in the times of trouble that's beyond things that we ever thought we could bear. That's peace. That's what peace is. Today in your life, there is somebody who you're not at peace with. From God's word, it is absolutely your responsibility to mend that relationship, to pursue peace for peace's sake, to love them even though they are not loving you back. And even though they may curse you, your job is to return blessing to them today. You know who that name is. Maybe this moment, today, start the conversation that will lead to a redemptive relationship. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day, the day that you made. God, I thank you that even in my moments before I didn't know you, and I, I cursed you, God. I ask that you would be that God that you were to me back then, and you would continue 
to offer blessing upon blessing upon blessing. God, I pray that the names that you brought to the minds of people through your word, that there be action steps going forward and you bring about peace in those relationships. God, I pray that we would never understand this to be sweeping things under the rug, but an acceptance of a greater reality of which, of which you are God. There is a choice. And so we pray in your name, your will be done. Amen. Amen. Guys, uh, thank you for coming today. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic to be able to share with you. Um, happy Mother's Day, moms. And uh, God bless. Have a great day.